Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Everyday Church. We are a body of believers in Oklahoma City with the mission to live out our faith on a daily basis. Let's listen in as we hear a powerful message from God's Word. Well, today we're wrapping up our series, I'm Not the Perfect Parent. And today we're going to focus on the perfect parent. And uh, thankfully, the perfect parent wants to help us because if you are a parent, you know what an incredibly difficult task it is. And maybe one day you'll be a parent and that will be uh, an eye-opening experience for you. But many of us in this room can speak from experience. It's very tough. I've seen plenty of pictures on the interwebs that relate to this. So I'll show you a couple. Parenting can kind of be like this. You know, you put the little precious baby down, but it actually feels like you got a ticking time bomb, right? Parenting can be like that. It can also uh, be like this, you know, before kids. Oh, weekend morning, snooze away. No, not after kids. Wake up, I'm hungry. You know, definitely you lose a lot of sleep. That happens. You also got this scenario play out. You got, oh, the first kid's room. We're so excited. We're going to make it look perfect. And then you have another, as I hear, sleep on this. All right? Yeah. That happens. Then also parenting is kind of like this. When your kid is following too closely and you stop walking, boom, happens all the time. They just want to follow you everywhere. Where are you going? I'm staying with you. And then this could be the worst. This is the first time we saw Isaac bleed is when Kim cut his fingernails for the very first time. That could be the scariest moment in your life. And poor Isaac, he's uh, still got residual effects from the first time. He got his fingernails clipped from mama and she's, she's scarred too. It was a bad experience. And speaking of Kim, I think this next one also is perfect for her because this happens all the time. When my kids call my name right after I sat down, <laughs> this is her pet peeve. She sits down and says, Mom, I just sat down, you know. <laughs> it is always happening at that perfect moment. And then the last one is for me. This one fits me perfectly. When your kids say, you never buy anything. Oh, well, here you go. <laughs> you got some electricity, you know, you got bread, you know, you're good, okay. And so parenting is a fun adventure, but I look forward to us today. I'm, I'm pumped that you're here and... Today, I want to wrap up less maybe focused on a, a parenting specific, but I want to focus more on that relationship with a parent. And, and all of us in this room, we're kids to a certain degree. We uh, have parents, and whether they've gone on or, or they're still with us. And so I want to focus on that relationship while we focus on who the perfect father is. To do that, I want to go to Hosea chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, uh, if you're using an app, that's fine. It's easy and convenient. Use that on your smartphone or device. Uh, or if you brought a copy of God's Word, we're going to be in Hosea. It's an interesting book. Hosea was a minor prophet, not because he was young, as in that type of minor. Uh, it was because he was in the coal. That's the kind of minor he was. Just kidding. He was not in the coal at all. He's a minor prophet because his prophetic book is one of the smaller prophetic books. The major prophets are like Jeremiah and Isaiah. They're longer prophetic writings but Hosea's is short. So he falls into the minor prophet category. But this book, even though it might be a minor prophet, there's a whole lot of goodness in it. The story of Hosea is very interesting, though, because God tells Hosea on the front end. He says, Hosea, you're going to marry this very specific lady. You think that's, that's an awesome thing when you have great clarity from God, especially with a big decision like who you're going to marry. You, you want that moment where God says, this is the one, this is who I want you to be with. Nothing better than having that type of clarity. But God says, you're going to marry this specific lady, but I'm going to give you foreknowledge. I'm going to tell you on the front end, she's going to, treat, she's going to cheat on you, and she's going to be other people's babies. Mama, okay? And she, she's going to cheat on you, and you're going to know that going in, and, and uh, this relationship is going to play out as a picture to what's going on in the current world. Now, if I was Hosea, it would be like, excuse me, I, I think there's better ways to do this than to tell me right now that I'm going to marry this person and that they're going to cheat on me and have kids from, from other daddies. Like, I, I, if God told me that before marrying Kim, I would have probably said, no, let, can we think of another way? I, if I'm going to face pain and torment, I, I could think of a million other ways because I know that's going to hurt. So just have a bunch of paper cuts all over my body, throw me into some lemonade, and we'll call it good, right? That's the path I would prefer than you telling me that all of this is going to happen. But God's like, no, Jose, this is what I want you to do because I'm going to show a picture of grace to my people. I'm going to show a picture even of my justice to, to my people. 
So God was telling Hosea, you're going to speak my words as a prophet would. You're going to declare, thus saith the Lord. But not only are you going to declare, thus saith the Lord, your life is going to paint a picture of who I am. That's not just going to be out of your mouth and the words that you say. Your whole life is going to tell that story of who I am and my relationship with my people. So let's look a little bit at that story. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. If you've ever heard the term idolatry, idolatry equates to spiritual adultery. And so God is saying, you're going to have someone that's going to cheat on you and conceive other children just as much as my people are cheating on me. They're committing idolatry. They're worshiping other idols. They're worshiping false gods, which is adultery. It is cheating on this covenant relationship that I have with my people. God's saying, these Israelites, specifically the northern kingdom, okay, Israel has been split into two kingdoms, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, and, and this is primarily when written to the northern kingdom, that you're going to cheat on me, and that's adultery, and, and you're going to ha- uh, worship these false gods. Verse 3, so Hosea married Gomer. Now, that actually might have been the breaking point for me. Okay, God, all right, all right, I get it. You, you, she's going to cheat on me, but do I have to marry a girl named Gomer? That's what might have been the line for me right there. We're going to draw the line in the sand, no Gomers. Sorry if your name's Gomer. I... There's some weird middle names out there. It could be Brandy Gomer Nelson. I don't know, but sorry, it's still a lovely name. Okay, so Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. And the Lord said, Name the child Jezreel. This is a son that they have together. For I'm about to punish King Jehu's dynasty to avenge the murders he committed at Jezreel. In fact, I will bring an end to Israel's independence. I will break its military power in the Jezreel Valley. Verse 6. Soon Gomer, be- Gomer. <laughs> Gomer's a Gomer now and a goober. But Gomer <clears throat> became pregnant again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to Hosea, name your daughter Lo-Ruhamah. Not loved, for I will no longer show love to the people of Israel or forgive them, but I will show love to the people of Judah. I will free them from their enemies, not with weapons and armies or horses and charioteers, but by my power as the Lord their God. In the southern kingdom, they had some good kings. They would repent of their sin. They would turn to the Lord. In Israel, there were no good kings. They were doing everything that was right in their own eyes, sin after sin after sin. And so God's like, tell, tell the people in the north, the northern kingdom, that, that I'm done with them. They're going to be exiled. And for now, Judah is still receiving forgiveness. They keep turning to me. And then eventually, Judah turns their back on God as well. All right? Now, so, but God says, I'm going to step in. And then look at verse 8. After Gomer had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she again became pregnant and gave birth to a second son. Now, we're not hearing Hosea's name in this picture. And the Lord said, name him Lo-Ami, which means not my people. For Israel is not my people, and I'm not their God. Now, some scholars believe this is a clear reference that this, is, this conception is from her cheating, that she's cheated, and that's why the name is not my people, because it's not Hosea's kid. This is from someone else, just as God predicted and told Hosea what would happen. This is now playing out in front of him. This is not his child. Verse 10, yet the time will come when Israel's people will be like the sands of the seashore, too many to count. Then at the place where they were told, you're not my people, It will be said, you are children of the living God. Then the people of Judah and Israel will unite together. They will choose one leader for themselves, and they will return from exile together. What a day that will be, the day of Jezreel, when God will again plant his people in his land. They will return from exile. Now, despite the idea that some of those kids might not have been his, there is some hope when we read that at the place where they were told, you are not my people, it will be said. You are children of the living God. What an incredible thought to be called a child of the living God. Just kind of what we sang about. I am who you say I am. That I'm a child of God. Now, the truth is for every one of us in this room, we're not a child of God. 
until we put our faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And that's when a new birth happens. That's when we are adopted into the family of God. We're grafted into the vine because of our faith and trust in Jesus, not by our works, not by being here today, but by a faith and trust in Jesus. That is when God becomes our father. Apart from that decision and that choice to surrender to him, God is not our child, or God is not our father and never will be our child, and we're not his child. John 1.12, this is how John puts it. But to all who believed him and accepted him, we're talking about Jesus, the word who became flesh, he gave the right to become children of God. You believe, you put your faith, you accept him. That's when you become a child of God. Verse 13, they are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. There is a spiritual birth that takes place when you believe, when you really put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are born again, and now you are a child of God. Think about that. What impact should that have upon your life to fully understand that you have God as your daddy, your father, that you belong to the one who created everything, to the one who owns it all, to the one who is everywhere to the one who knows it all that's your dad that's your father that's your daddy abba meaning daddy a term of endearment that's your daddy i mean that's the ultimate my daddy can beat up your daddy moment right when you're younger especially on the boy side there's i don't know why but there's those my dad can beat up your dad and you have those comments you're like my dad's god and he can whoop all your tails okay he's the one in control he is omnipotent he has all power mic drop that's my daddy What an incredible thought to know that God is your father. I think the impact of that is far greater than we can even imagine. The one word that really comes to my mind and resonates with me as I think about and I dwell upon God as my father is freedom. See, when God is your father, there's some freedom that that brings. One of those is God as your father brings freedom from similarity. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. See, in Scripture, there's a couple passages I want to take us to that really kind of explain the freedom that we have when God is our Father. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. Okay, Don't, don't have your unity, your, your connection, your serious connection with those that don't believe. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How, how can light live with darkness? That's why as a, a Christian, you should not marry a non-Christian. That, there's, there's disunity there. How can a believer be a partner? Or let me go to verse 15, sorry. What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. That's what the scripture teaches. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. We house God's presence. We're, we are the tabernacle of God dwelling upon the land. Okay, We're a temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. I don't know if you just recognize us reading that. Verse 17, therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you, and I will be your father. Here's the theme. And you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Even as adults, I think there's a tendency for us to try and fit in, not stick out, just kind of go with the flow. Because there, there is a, a thought from us, like, man, it's just so much better to, to, to not have to stick out or, or to, to maybe be against the status quo. And so we just kind of merge in because we, we sometimes live for people's acceptance. So we, we, we like, man, I'll even compromise a little bit. I'll, I'll fudge some things here and there. I'll say some things I know are off color or, or inappropriate, but I just want to fit in with the guys or I, I want to fit in with this mom group. And so I'm going to kind of maybe miss some Sundays or miss some things to, to kind of fit in with everyone else because I, I just don't want to have to go fight or to stick out or have this attention. And when God is our Father, he's like, you don't have to be like everyone else. You just know that I've accepted you. I love you. You're free from being like everyone else. And I know some people are like, oh, I don't even care about what other people think. But yet, typically what happens when people in their uniqueness get with other people in their uniqueness, and they just make their own group of unique people that are just together themselves. 
But when you're a Christ follower and God is your father, it's like I, I, my life is not dependent upon the praise of people. My life is not dependent upon the acceptance of a group of people. Yes, we're wired to live in community. But we find that with our brothers and sisters in Christ because we're a family now as God is our father. And so we are unique and we are different, but we, we do that together, of course. But it's not because we're trying to get acceptance from one another. Like, man, I really hope Josh likes me today. I hope he likes the shoes that I'm wearing because if, if he doesn't, then I'm going to be really down today. Now, somebody's like, how can people, people really think that? And live their lives and make decisions based upon what people will think of them. How many times are you in the closet thinking about what you're going to wear depending on what other people are going to think? Guys, none. Matt, for sure, no. But, but some of you ladies. <laughs> but that, see, he doesn't live by my acceptance. He's fine. I can say things like that now. Just joking. It does not give us a right to be mean. But when God is our father, there's freedom from similarity, trying to be like everybody else. We've been set free from that. The, the, the one that we are living for is God Almighty, and he has demonstrated his love for us and set us free and, and, and is calling us to be different from the world. He says, what does light and darkness have in common? Wickedness and righteousness, Jesus and the devil. Don't be like everyone else. Narrow is the road that leads to life. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. It's like, don't go down the path where everyone's going. You just be you, the one I've created, my son, my daughter. So God as our father brings us freedom from similarity, but God also as our father brings us freedom from sin. And this is obviously extremely important, that we have been freed from sin. Not only do we have to try and, and live our lives with people to get their acceptance that are, that are sinning, we don't have to sin ourselves. Jesus in, in John 8 really paints this picture for us that unless he is your Lord and Savior, God is your father. But if not, he's not your father. We're made in his image, all of us. But having faith in Christ determines if God is our father. It's not even our heritage. It's not who our parents are. It's not our lineage. It's all about faith in Jesus. In John 8, 31, it says, Jesus said to these people who believed in him. And we're going to understand this isn't talking about a faith in Christ yet. Okay, but he says, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. Like, if you're really going to believe, here's the deal. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We sang about that. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We're Jews, okay? We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? Jesus replied, I told you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin, which means if you've... Apart from Christ, every one of us in this room, we're not perfect. We've messed up. We became a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family. You ain't in the family. But a son or daughter is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Yes, I realize that you're descendants of Abraham. I get it. And yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I'm telling you what I saw when I was with my father. But you're following the advice of your father. Okay, he just told them his father wasn't their father. That's important. Well, they say, our father is Abraham. They declared, no. Jesus replied, for if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you're trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you are imitating your real father. They replied, we aren't illegitimate children, which could have been a slam towards Jesus in, in knowing that, oh yeah, this virgin birth thing. But they're like, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. They're, they're, they're throwing down. No, 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 God is our father. That's who it is. God's our father. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I've come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, dun, 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 the devil. And you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, 
It is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Don't be a liar. You're speaking the devil's language. Jesus says, you want to know who your daddy is? Your daddy's the devil. Verse 45. So when I tell you the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God. But you don't listen because you don't belong to God. Jesus very clearly is like, no, no, no. You, you keep saying that God's your father, but he's not. Because you're not doing what he said. You're, you're rejecting me. You're trying to kill me. You have nothing to do with me and my words and the word of God. It's all pretend. It's all phony. But Jesus is saying, if you have truly put your faith and trust in him and God is your father, then you're freed from the power of sin over your life. I think this is something we have a hard time grasping as believers, that this truth that we don't have to sin. So we use this expression, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, and so I'm just going to screw up and mess up, and that's just going to happen, and the devil made me do it. And we've, we've got a, a pocket full of excuses ready to go because we screwed up not understanding that the power of God has changed our lives, and God, as our Father, actually sets us free from the hold of sin in our lives. We are no longer a slave to sin. We have been freed from the power of sin in our lives. You say, well, my heart is, is a wicked thing. Yeah. The Bible teaches, Jeremiah 17, 9, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? The heart is jacked up apart from Christ. That's why lost people act lost. And what I mean by that is people that don't know Jesus are going to act like they don't know Jesus because there's a heart problem. My heart needs a surgeon. My soul needs a friend. Your heart needs a work done because of what we see in Ezekiel 36. And I will give you a new heart, not a bob. Sorry, that is an, a joke for the old people in the room. There was this comedian named Bob Newhart. Pretend I didn't say that. I look really young, but boy, I'm ancient. And I know who Bob Newhart is. He's actually, some of you might know from Big Bang Theory when he's, he was a, a character returning characters. You're like, oh, that dude, the old guy. Yeah, that was him. All right, let's go back. And I will give you a new heart. Don't say it, don't say it. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we actually have a new heart. And we now have the power, because if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. We have a victorious heart. We have uh, to embrace and understand and comprehend that we are more than conquerors. We're no longer these defeated people that just like a slave to sin. I'm going to do it because I'm a slave to sin. No. You have victory over sin. You don't have to make excuses for your actions. You need to make repentance for your actions. And yes, we're still in this battle. We're in the not yet. We haven't been completely glorified until we get to heaven. There's still a battle and a war waging around us. But you are more than a conqueror. You can win. You don't have to say yes to sin. Apart from Christ, you're going to say yes to sin. Because there's no freedom there yet. And there's some moral people that kind of do good and bad, but they're going to mess up. As believers, know that we can be victorious, that we're more than a conqueror because God is our Father. Now, these men, they, they weren't putting their faith and trust in Jesus. That's why Jesus said, no, your father's the devil. But they were trusting in their, their birth, their physical birth, my mom and dad, or my lineage, or my heritage, or that I'm a descendant of Abraham. Galatians 3 says, the real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. Okay, that, that's the real faith, a faith in God. Verse 26 of, of Galatians chapter 3, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are tr the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. The only lineage or heritage that matters is a faith in Jesus. It's not that your, your parents were Christians or your grandparents were Christians. None of that matters except what you do with Jesus. 
that you were born into a Christian home, that don't matter. That, that's trusting in what mom and dad did or what grand, grandpappy and grandmama, whatever you call them. It's about what you do. And if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're free. God is your father. You've been forgiven. You've been set free. Now, why don't we see that? Why don't we, most people, even as that would claim Christ, aren't walking around. I feel like people are, are walking around more in chains than they are free. More frowns than smiles. I, I think many people struggle with the freedom that they have with, with God as their father because they don't see God as the God who's come to free us. Their view of God is that he has come to restrict us. That's not the God we see in Scripture. A lot of people think God didn't come to set me free to, to live victorious, but, but to put me in a prison of rules and regulations. To chain me up. To bind me instead of to free me. I believe we have this faulty view of God, and I believe that this this. This view of him, this perception of God stems from what I would call a daddy wound somewhere along the way. Or a parental wound. Because a lot, oftentimes, seeing a heavenly father, we're going to project our, our view of our heavenly father with the experience that we had. Whether that was non-existence or poor or even good with our earthly father. And so we view our heavenly father through this lens of a wound. A wound that was established maybe when you were young or when, when daddy packed up and left or abandoned or said that hurtful thing. And it's been so hard to overcome that because this lens went up. And now when you look upon God it's, and you hear we sing about God as our father, that we're a child of God. And you have this hard time seeing him as father because, man, I had a horrific relationship with dad. And sometimes it's not even horrific. It's just... There was something that stung that you never had healing from. And so whether dad has, or mom, wherever this parental wound came from has maybe gone on and they've passed or, or, or maybe they're even alive today, I want to encourage you and to let you know that even though we might not be perfect parents, God is. Psalms 27.10 says, Even if my father and mother abandon me, even if they go, the Lord will hold me close. God is not the imperfect parent. God is the perfect parent. And if we are going to have the freedom that we talked about, we first must experience forgiveness. See, forgiveness is key in every relationship, any relationship, but specifically with a, a parental figure in your life, authority figure, it could be even a guardian. But a relationship will thrive or die depending on forgiveness. Because none of us in this room are perfect. We are going to make a mistake. Even how amazing your parents were, I'm sure there was a mistake made along the way. And some of you are like, yeah, tons of them. Some of you are like, yeah, it was, it was overall, it was pretty good. Either way, we're not perfect. And so there's going to be mistakes made. And so forgiveness is a necessity. Colossians 3.13 says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. I mean, the Bible says forgive anyone, anyone who offends us. Literally, to, to give grace, to pardon people that hurt us. And that's a tough task. Why? Because un, uh, forgiveness is not very natural for a lot of us. Vengeance is. Retribution is. Forgiveness isn't. When we've been hurt, we like to hold a grudge. And not only do we have a grudge, we, we go for blood. We want revenge. I want to get them back. And so forgiveness, honestly, for me, flies in the face of every instinct I have. It's not very natural for me. But Paul says, hey, Jesus forgives you. So you must forgive others. I mean, the perfect picture of forgiveness, Jesus taking a cross that was not deserved. You know, Jesus was the unblemished lamb, which means there was no fault, no sin in Jesus. He never screwed up. He never sinned. He did not have mistakes that we make. But yet there was a price that had to be paid. 
there was a penalty of sin. There was a debt that was owed to God because God is not only fully love, he's fully just. And so there was a debt that had to be paid. And so Jesus laid down his life for us while we were yet still sinners. And Jesus said, I got it. I'll take the cross. I'll pay the price and penalty for not only everyone in this room, the whole world. I'll do it. Even though I haven't sinned. To the point of, of suffering and anguish in the garden, praying, if this is not your will, Lord, let it pass. But if, if this is your will, I'm in. Sweating drops like blood. In anguish and turmoil over what was going to take place and was beat to a pulp before actually literally being nailed upon a cross. If that was me, I know what Jason's going to do. I'm out. I, I know what Libby, I know, I'm out. I know what old Hickman's going to do. I'm talking about my dad, by the way. I'm out. But Jesus laid down his life for us. And since we, as followers of Christ, have been forgiven from all our sin, we should mirror his grace and forgiveness and extend it to others. That's what the scripture teaches us. If you have a Bible, look at Matthew 18. I want to see Jesus lived a life of forgiveness, but he also taught on it. His walk and talk matched. There was one time he talked on it in Matthew chapter 18 that I want to look at. Peter, he's kind of asking really a, a, a logistical question on forgiveness because some of you might have that. All right, well, how much do I forgive? And this is the tenor of what he says. In Matthew 18, 21, then Peter came to him, Jesus, and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? You've probably had that question before. How much should I forgive someone? And Peter, he might have been trying to show off here because rabbis during that day taught that if you forgave someone three times, that was monster, huge forgiveness. That was a big deal to do three times. And so Peter might have been rolling up here like, hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a disciple. I'm a spiritual stud. I'm in the inner circle. How many times do I forgive Jesus? Someone hurts me. Should, should I even go up to seven times? Aren't I pretty cool? Aren't I pretty incredible that I would forgive someone seven times? The answer comes in verse 22. No, not seven times. Whew. Okay, maybe he'll say one, right? Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. That's a lot of chances. Now, how it's worded, actually, in Greek, it could be, he could have met 77 times, or it could have been 490. But either way, that beats three strikes and you're out. And what Jesus is really saying is that forgiveness should be unlimited. And says so Jesus is a master teacher. He says, I'm going to illustrate this. Now, he's going to create this story and share this story to prove his point and to, to teach his point. You know, we do that in messages, and a pastor will bring up a story and and use that as an illustration. Jesus does this in, in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions. Can you see the Austin Powers? Millions. <laughs> millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. So Jesus starts off. He's like, there's, there's this wealthy king. He's rolling in it. Dude's loaded. He's, he, he's filthy rich. And let's just say April 15th is coming, and he's got to get all of his accounts in order. And, and so he's like, here's a bunch of people that owe me money. And he discovered, oh, there's one guy who owes him a ton of money. He owes me a lot of money. So let's get him in. So they call him into the palatial office and, and, and says, all right, you owe me a lot of money. It's payday. Pay it up right now. But there's a big problem. The servant's like, whoa, 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 I'm not even near that amount right now. I can't pay that money. In fact, the number Jesus uses is no one could pay this money. It's kind of translated millions of dollars here, but it's so huge. No one could even pay this amount. So what does the servant do? He can't file chapter 11 bankruptcy. Okay, he just, he's just like, I'm in serious trouble. But look at verse 26. But the man fell down before his master and begged him. Okay, he humbles himself. He begs, please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. 
Now, this king had every right to throw this guy to the torturers. He could have put him and his whole family on the auction blocks. This dude owed him a ton of money. He could have done all of those, but the wealthy guy does something else. Verse 27, then his master was filled with pity for him. And, and he didn't just accept this, yeah, pay it later. He released him and forgave his debt. Now, can you imagine spending so much money that you owed Visa millions of dollars? Yeah, I, I mean, I could imagine that would be kind of fun, right? It, it, to like, oh, that'd be a, a really nice spending spree. But let's just say that you, you, you didn't know that, that there was anything on the other side except you got to pay it. Millions of dollars you've spent, you've racked up on credit cards, and then Visa calls and says, hey, you know what? Don't worry about it. Listen, we're, we're forgiven that debt. It's been canceled. It's over. Done. Paid in full. What's your reaction going to be? I, I'm going to be pretty stoked, to be honest with you. I get excited about a free drink at Starbucks. If, if someone called and said, the mortgage company called and said, hey, hey taken care of. You're good. I'm going to be elated, all right? I'm going to be telling everybody what amazing thing just transpired. How amazing, how awesome that would be. Look at this guy's attitude. Verse 28. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. Um, he was just forgiven millions of dollars. But he finds a guy who owes him chump change in comparison and starts choking him. Verse 29. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Sounds very familiar to a scenario we just saw play out. Be patient with me and I'll pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested, put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Now, when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They're like, whoa, what's up? They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to, be pr to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Now, this is a story Jesus has created to illustrate forgiveness 70 times 7. All right? He's all talking about forgiveness, but look at this heavy statement at the end. Verse 35. He closes it out with this. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. You think forgiveness is important? You think in the eyes of God... Forgiveness is a big deal. You think he's okay with us being unforgiving when he was so forgiving to us? Millions of dollars canceled in sin. And yet someone says a bad word to us. And it could, but from minimal to big, doesn't matter what illustration we want to use there. And we don't forgive. It doesn't compare to what Jesus did to us. What irony in the story. This, this king delivers the servant from prison. He's like, okay, I'm just going to forgive you. But what happens now? The servant has put himself in prison because of an unforgiving spirit. He wouldn't forgive the person that just owed him chump change in comparison. And so now, because of his unforgiving spirit, he's literally back in prison in this story. The same, what Jesus is saying is basically it's the same is true for us. It's the same is true for you. The same is true for me. When we've been delivered as Christ's followers, we've been set free. We have been forgiven. The debt has been taken care of. But when we harbor unforgiveness, we're putting ourselves back in prison. A spiritual prison of misery. Because we have been freely forgiven by this amazing grace and the blood of Jesus. And then we are not going to forgive other people. Is putting ourselves in a, in a cell of torment. Of internal torment and misery because we are so unforgiving. Forgiveness is key in every relationship. But let me tell you, it is so important in the parent-child relationship. So today I want to wrap up with, with three quick things that happen when we forgive. Especially when we need to forgive a parent. And parents, we need to ask for forgiveness. But, but even if it's not asked, we still need to forgive. 
Okay, because when we forgive, number one, we release that person from guilt. We're releasing them from guilt. Because when someone has hurt us, trashed us, taken advantage of us, it's like this debt has been created. We think, you owe me. They need to pay for what they've done. There is a debt that has been established. There's hurt that has caused it. There is something that has transpired. And we think, you need to pay for this. You owe me. And forgiveness is saying, nah, it's all good. Paid in full. You don't owe me. I forgive the offense. And Jesus, when he forgives our sins, he paid the price and penalty. He stepped in. He took on the wrath of God. The payment of sin was, was it is finished. It is done. Tetelestai. It is completed. The record, and the, has been, the record of our sin has been canceled. Okay, The debt has been paid for. 1 John 2, verse 1 says, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. That word atones means propitiation, which means that Jesus appeased or he satisfied the, the wrath, the, the, the justice or, or judgment of God. So Jesus didn't just forgive our debt. He forgave our death penalty. He forgave it all. And so when we forgive other people, the small debt to us is just a small example of what Jesus did when he wiped away our sin and our death penalty. It reflects the forgiveness of our Father. It releases that person from guilt. Secondly, when we forgive, we release ourselves from that person's control. You ever have, have been mad at someone because of something that they've done and you've just stewed over it? You thought about it over and over. You, you couldn't sleep even. You were just so mad because of what they did. And you finally worked up the, the courage to confront them. And you said, I can't believe you did that. This hurt me. And they're like, oh, gosh, I didn't even know. I didn't even know you were so upset. I, I, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I don't even remember doing that. It controlled your life and it did nothing to them. You were so hurt and it... it, it it took so much of your energy and your time. It controlled you. It wasted all of this momentum and this energy. And they they're did. I slept fine. I didn't even know. But boy, you stewed on it over and over again. All that energy that could, be, could have been used in a positive way, could have been used for the glory of God and for the good of others, could have been used for the advancement of God's kingdom. Harboring unforgiveness is no good for the kingdom and it's no good for you. You're just letting someone else control you. It's a different kingdom you've put yourself in, and it's their kingdom, and they don't even know. You need to forgive to release your, the, per, that person's control over your life. But when we harbor unforgiveness, we're saying, okay, you, you control the ship. You control my life. You dictate my energy and progress. You, you've, you can mess around and ruin my life and keep me from my potential. We've got to forgive and lead with forgiveness. But say, no, no, no. I, I, I'm putting God back in control. I'm not letting you lead my life. I, I'm, and I'm not even going to wait for you to ask for forgiveness. I'm just going to give it. They might not even know what they've done. And so when you forgive, that person no longer has control over you. Well, how do you know? You've forgiven them. I think that's a fair question. How, how do you know? Because, because maybe they've long gone. Maybe there's not even a conversation that could be had. I, I believe that when you can think of them and, and not feel the pain of that hurt again, when you can pray for God's blessing on their life, when you can feel their pains even instead of focused on how they've hurt you, you've entered into a state of forgiveness. Well, there's consequences to those sins. Doesn't mean that you enter back into a toxic relationship. Doesn't mean you got to be BFFs now, but you've released the guilt and their controls. I forgive you. Now, I'm not an idiot, and we're not going to go do the same things we did, and we're not going to participate in that. But listen, I pray God takes care of you. I pray God heals you. But there's no debt. You have no control. I'm moving on with a spirit of forgiveness. Lastly, when we forgive, we release our future from bitterness. We release our future 
from bitterness. Because if you don't forgive, your future is going to be filled with poison, with bitterness. You've heard me say before, but it bears repeating. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to get sick. It's not going to do anything to them, but everything to you. You're going to be miserable. You're going to have your health hurt. There's actually been studies that have been done that show a person who forgives lives a healthier life. According to the Mayo Clinic, you will have healthier relationships, less anxiety, less stress and hostility, lower blood pressure, fewer symptoms of depression, and a lower risk of alcohol and substance abuse. That's just for people that forgive. And instead of harboring unforgiveness, listen, you are going to get sick, bitter, if you don't forgive. Unforgiveness is a thief. It steals our energy, our time, our future. But when we forgive, we gain freedom. Freedom of thought, freedom of emotion, freedom from sin, freedom to walk with God with a clear conscience. Listen, when God is our Father and we enter into forgiveness, we receive freedom. We receive progress. We receive health, healing, and wholeness. I know that some of you in this room have a hard time with God as your father because of some experiences as a child. I had a really good friend in Tulsa when I lived there, served in our student ministry, was a great teacher, was always the life of the party, but didn't know that when he wasn't around people, he was miserable. felt like he was drinking poison constantly. And he hadn't processed it enough to know why, but he would be great at performing and putting on a mask. But when he was away from it all, he was hurting big time. I had a conversation with him. Said, I said, John, it wasn't till I was with a good friend of mine, like an accountability type of partner, and I finally confessed and just said, hey, when, when I'm not around people and when I'm being true to myself, Life sucks. It's hard. I'm miserable. And because this guy knew him and knew him well, he said, hey, I know your dad left when you were young. Have you ever forgiven your father? And in that moment, he said, he just broke and started weeping. And it just hit him. And it wasn't something that necessarily he dwelled on. He just knew there was something off, something wrong. There was a wound there. And when it was spoken out loud, the wound came to the forefront and he broke and he wept and in that moment and I know it's a journey but in that moment he stopped and he paused and he prayed and he forgave his father for walking out on his family, his mom his brother, himself and he forgave his dad and he told me, he changed his life where the happiness was no longer an act It was no longer trying to fool people, but there was real joy in his life. Listen, if you have a wound today, and there's enough people in here. It could be from someone else in your life. But listen, for your relationship to be with the Father, all that it can be, you need to find healing there. And you need to forgive that person. You need to forgive them. I'm not trying to say that what they did was okay or it was nothing. No, we can be honest. It probably stunk and it hurt and it it was potentially horrific what has happened. But we remember a Savior who took a cross for us and we've done some pretty dumb stuff too. And might I dare say horrific. But yet he forgives us. And so I'm praying and asking today that you would step in to some forgiveness for even those who have hurt you. Because I know this is a heavy and a big deal, I want to give you some time to kind of process this right now. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? I'm going to ask the worship team just to kind of be prepared to lead lead us in some musical worship. But as you're there, I, I want you to maybe even start to say, God, how do I do this? If you already know who's on your heart and you need to forgive them, 
Would you just even start with, God, help me here. Help me. Help me forgive. You know what? It's not a natural thing, but it can be a supernatural thing. And say, God, put your super on my natural right now and make this happen because I don't know how to do it, but I want to release their control and release them from guilt. I want the freedom that comes with you as my father. And maybe you spend a moment reflecting right now about how Christ has forgiven you. All that Jesus has done in your life. And you want to thank him for his forgiveness. It's easier to forgive when you comprehend and understand how much you've been forgiven. And so thank the father for sending his son. That Christ Jesus died on that cross for us while we were yet sinners. And say, I know I'm not like Jesus yet. But in the spirit and the power of Jesus, would you help me forgive those around me? And I want you to forgive the person you're thinking of, you know, that's given you a wound. Release your future from bitterness. Release that person's control. Release them from their guilt. You know what? Today, as you pray, maybe it's you today you need to forgive. Maybe you've screwed up and you're really having a hard time forgiving yourself. Listen, forgive yourself. It, it, you are mocking God's forgiveness when he can forgive you and yet you can't forgive yourself. You can't forgive others. That's a mockery of the incredible forgiveness that God gives. Extend it to yourself. Extend it to others. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, it starts there. I want to encourage you to do that. I'm just going to be quiet for a moment, let you pray. If you want to get on your knees, if you want to make this an altar, if you want to come talk to me about giving your life to Jesus or even a prayer, then, then feel free to do that. But I'm going to let the Lord work, and then we'll sing here in just a minute. This is Pastor John. Thank you so much for listening to the Everyday Church Podcast. For more information on us or if you happen to make a spiritual decision during this message, please let us know and go to our website, www.everyday.church. There's an email link that you can click on and we would love to hear from you. If there's anything going on that has happened during this message, if the Lord has spoken to you or you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Also, if there's a prayer request or concern, then you can email us and we would love to take the time to pray for you and respond in any way that we can. Again, thank you so much for listening. God bless.